You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to start the day calling in our ancestors. I'd like to call out to all of those who have gone before us those who lived in good harmony with the animals and the plants and the beings around them. We ask for their guidance today as we come to understand how can we can live better in this world in a way that is in greater harmony with those other living things around us. So we call out to these ancestors, yours and mine, those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us, and we ask them to stand round us here today to hold us in good company that we might open to understandings in our heart and feel the resonance of truth in our own beings. And let's open our feet and extend down into the energy of the earth and give thanks to the energy of the earth, the oldest ancestor. We give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming, the dreams that brought life to the face of this planet in all of its many, many forms, those that are human and those that are animal, plant, bugs, all the different forms, even the elementals, even the geography, all the things that are alive and breathing and sources of wisdom for us from a shamanic perspective. We give thanks to the earth for this great bounty, for this great beauty, and thanks for the miracle of life. We give thanks for home, for groundedness, and the interconnection of all things. And from this place, this place that we stand in ourselves and in our home and on our planet, we reach up and out and above, up to the sky energies. And we reach all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you call that power, call it down into your experience of listening to these proceedings here today, into our circle, into this place and time. We call the spirits in from above to bring us blessing, to bring us protection to bring us the generosity and benevolence of this fine universe in which we are part. And we ask that all the wisdom of the cosmos come to us and that these energies come down to merge with the energies of the earth and hold us here in good stead, hold us in balance, that we might go forward today in a good way. And finally, we call out to the resonant beauty, the great energy of the heart in each human. We call out to the energy of the heart that we might know the passions of our own inner self and the inspiration and clarity of our mind and the way that these two energies come together, merge in that special way in the heart that we come to understand our soul's true purpose and the gift that we bring to the world. With the spirits gathered round and our hearts awakened by our own intent, may the words that need to be spoken be spoken here today and that which needs to be heard be heard. I want to give thanks to all of those listeners who don- whose donations make this show possible. These shows are all available free um, to those who can get access to computers, and uh, we give thanks for those who support the show. If you would like to support the show, if you have been moved in any way, if you're moved by today's show, please allow that movement in your heart to extend into your actions and donate. You can just go to whyshamanismnow.com. 
to our show website, click the support button, and offer any amount that you choose to. Every single dollar is um, greatly appreciated, and they all go directly to keeping the show available on the air and available for free downloads so you can listen to them whenever you want to. So thank you all, and thanks to the community that support me and my work and this show. And finally, without further ado, we give thanks to our guest. Carla, thank you for being with us here today. Thank you for having me. It's a great delight. So our show today um, is our very first show in the year and a half or more that we've been on the air here, Exploring Shamanic Healing with Animals. And so uh, for those of you that want to locate Carla in the wild, wild internet space, she can be found at spirithealer.com. And so on Carla's to find more information about her, you're going to go there as you're listening to today. You can find information about what she offers for animals and people. You can. So here we go. Yeah. I'm waiting. Oh, I was waiting for you to give me like a one, two, three. Sorry. Okay. So, everyone, you can find Carla on the internet at spirithealer.com. And so, on her website, you can find out information about her work with people and animals. Um, You can schedule sessions through her site, sign up for her webinar training series, and um, you can also learn about her live classes there. And at the end of the show, we'll talk a little bit about um, upcoming classes that Carla has to offer. Um, But without further ado, let's um, talk to Carla (laughs) about what Carla does. Um, So, Carla, as you reflect on your life, um, what would you say are the truly pivotal moments that have you know, come together now to make you the practitioner and the person that you are? You know, I think that's a really great question because as I look back on it, it seems as though my life has been uh, directed like a stream that has many bends in it, forcing me into this beautiful pool where I'm doing shamanism now. And I um, probably the most pivotal moment was when I got fired. I had moved. <laughs> I know. The crisis disguised as a blessing. <laughs> Absolutely. I I had a I had always had an interest in the esoteric and in the philosophical and the theosophical and I'd gone to college in philosophy and mathematics, but I couldn't make a living, so I got an MBA and I went to work in the corporation. And it was actually quite shamanic. I was working in the toy business making boys' action toys. So that was pretty <laughs> shamanic. <laughs> but then I, I got the calling. I worked with Sandy Ingerman. She did a soul retrieval for me in the mid-'80s. And she said, you know, I, I really think you should join the Foundation for Shamanic Studies and learn more about this. You seem to have a propensity toward it. And and uh, lo and behold, one thing led to another. I found myself taking a fancy job in Eugene, Oregon, and promptly getting fired. Mm. So I had a 
skyrocketing career derailed. And I looked around, I asked the spirits, what? And they said, there are three women that you need to find here, and that is what? And one of them was Elida Birch, who Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know. Mm -hmm. And she and I became very close friends, and I embarked upon a very serious training path in shamanism. So getting fired was the thing that kicked me into gear. And the next thing that really was pivotal was getting Icelandic horses. Because mm-hmm. when, it, when it was time for me to hang my shingle out and start being a professional shamanic practitioner, I thought, you know, I'm not so good at people. I really understand horses. I've done lots of horse training. I have a horse farm. I love these little woolly Icelandics. Maybe I should try doing shamanizing for horses instead. And so they're the ones who really set me on the path, my little tribe of Icelandics. And so those are really the two key moments. And then finally, the last one was, well, right up there with getting fired, a divorce. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that put me back in connection with my old high school best friend, now sweetheart, and I've moved to Phoenix where I have all of it. I have the sweetheart. I have my, my father, who I get to have a lot of time with, a tribe of Icelandic horses, and nothing but shamanism. So it's great. What do Icelandic horses think about Arizona? Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't they hot all the time or something? Well, they, I have to shave them. It's, it's kind of traumatic for them in the winter t- or in the summertime. <laughs> But in the wintertime, they think it's pretty great stuff because we get to ride all winter long and they get all that loving. In the summertime, they prefer to be in cooler pastures, but we make do. Sure. Okay. Well, so so how does this, uh, your sense of the shamanic point of view that you got sort of herded into, pardon my pun, um, you, you kind of got herded into the shamanic point of view, but how, how does that shift? your, or what you feel is, you know, our usual framework for thinking about animals? Well, I'm going to speak first to the Icelandic horses because that's, that was my first recognition of it. People who are into horses understand that there's lots of different ways of looking at them. There's, there's a whole thing called natural horsemanship, which is about changing our usual relationship of me, master, you, horse, and into some sort of a dynamic, more more extraordinary understanding. Well, what I learned from working with spirit is that it's a lot more than that, and that horses have a collective soul. So that you may have an individual horse that you love, but that horse's health and well-being is a function of his soul being interconnected with his tribal soul some of whom are incarnate and some of whom aren't. And so that was my first big lesson in shamanism, that they are collective beings. So is that why we get that really excited feeling inside of ourselves when we watch, you know, Mustangs running or something like that as a group, horses moving as a group, as they're in their tribe, both manifest and unmanifest? Yes, because it's that tribal thing, manifest and unmanifest, it's a direct connection to spirit. Can you, because there's that moment in that, um, facing out on the name right now, but the horse movie that Beagle Mortensen did where he's got that little Mustang and they do the race across, you know, the Middle East and they don't win, 
but in the end, he he gives he gives the horse back to its tribe. Basically, after all this long time they've been together, and it's it's just this amazing moment. But as a human, most people go, "Well, why why am I so moved by this horse?" You know, being given back basically to its people. Yeah, I I really believe that is why, and as another illustration of it, and and how people are connected into that tribe. That's really, that's really the thing. Those of us who love horses are part horse. We're part of that tribe. Our soul may shapeshift into horse soul. Mm-hmm. People who love cats shapeshift into cat soul and dogs. You know? So I think that there's something really to this, this interwoven connection we feel to not just our own animals, but to the class, to the group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the about two years ago, I was happily doing a session for a dog, minding my own business, mind you, doing a nice extraction and soul retrieval for a dog, when from the north, the goddess Freya came in. Mm-hmm. And she said, excuse me. And I said, yes, I have an Icelandic mare for you. She'll be coming to you shortly. You will accept her. And she showed me this absolutely gorgeous little mare. And I said, um, Really? Really, I don't have a resources, money, yada, yada. Shut up. You're going to take this mare. Okay, thank you. Two days later, girlfriend of mine from California calls up. I want to buy a horse, and there's no horses here I want. I'll fly over, and we'll go horse shopping in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Well, who's going to resist that, going horse mm-hmm. shopping? <laughs> and sure, <laughs> the first thing that came up on the Internet, you know, on the horse dream is a cute little Icelandic mare. And I looked at her and I said, I think I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. So my girlfriend came out and we went to see the horse. And this mare looked at me and said, there you are. Where have you been? And long story short, she was loaded into my trailer. Mm-hmm. And she changed my life. Because of her, all of a sudden my life changed courses again a little bit and I've taken on a whole bunch of training in a very super light massage technique. So now I'm adding that hands-on massage technique into my shamanizing and doing that in a one-on-one physical relationship with horses here in Phoenix. So So, just to be clear, you're talking about that massage technique for the horses. For the horses, right. A horse massage technique, yeah. So it's it's what's interesting about it is that in my shamanic practice I have a journey practice most of it long distance where someone will call me and we'll get on the phone together and I will do healing work for their cat who has inflammatory bowel disease or their dog who has issues with barking too much or you know whatever the concern is and um the sessions are very powerful and they're wonderful and the animals are transformed and I haven't been doing any physical hands-on touching of the animals for all these years in this practice. And that's been missing. It's a missing link. So now, thanks to Lyra coming into my life, I'm incorporating this incredibly sensitive massage work and shamanizing while I'm doing the massaging and really reaching down inside in a fully integrated body work which is expanding my whole way of seeing the world. Once again, transfiguring and transforming how I see things. So I'm very grateful to Lyra and to Freya and my Icelandic herd for really escorting me 
on this path. So then share with us this this um, comment that you made as we were, you know, getting ready for the show about how this point of view then can change the way we think about animals. Well, the other day I was doing a, a session for a dog, and the dog is a rescue dog. And a lot of people are involved in rescue organizations. A lot of my customers are involved in rescue organizations, especially breed rescues. And so rescue is something very close to people's hearts. And this dog has a very advanced cancer. And so the common way of looking at a dog with advanced cancer is to say, this dog has a very short time to live. We should treat him with something that will make him comfortable and help him cross over. And that's the way that should be. But, and this woman is, is, um, typically would think along those lines, but something in her made her want to cure this dog, wanted the miracle. So she called me and she asked for a miracle. And my first reaction, my ordinary reality reaction is, well, we should prepare the animal for crossing over and so on and so forth. And I, but as I began to journey, I do what I always do, which is to wash away my preconception. And my teacher came and said, you're going to learn something today that's going to change the way you see the world with dogs. And we began the journey. The, this dog had been in a puppy mill and she'd been bred for 10 years. How many descendants, who knows? The first spirit who came in to help her was one of the studs in the puppy mill who'd long passed because she's, this dog is 11 years old. So that particular stud had already crossed over, and he was there like a husband to engage with her and to be there to help her cross when her time comes. And she said, oh, I'm I miss you so much, and I want everyone to know that my life has been lovely. We think of puppy mill lives as dreadful, horrible situations. And she said, no, my life was actually fine, and my life is fine now. But what I'd like to do is take this opportunity to send the healing that you are giving me through all of my descendants. It doesn't matter to me whether I become well or not, but the power of this miracle is that all my descendants will be healed of the propensity to get this disease. And it was beautiful. What a good mom. What a good mom. So it not only, that not only shifted my perception of what protocol is to help a dog in their ending days, It also shifted my perception of what my role is as a healer, that it is absolutely not limited to the dog at hand, but that I should use, understand that every client who comes to me is a portal and the spirit's power going through that portal is a gift of benefit to all of the relations connected to that animal. That was a real joy for me. That was a real eye-opener. So, Carla, before we get too far, much further, now, obviously, you have people calling about their pets. So we're talking about sort of domesticated animals or, or you know, cared for animals. But do you also get called to work with wild animals or animals that aren't domesticated? 
it's not normal for me to have um, wild animals come to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually, I'm going to tell you that I'm a little bit intimidated because on Friday, I will be at a wildcat sanctuary in Orlando, Florida. And I'm going to be doing ceremony there and hands, well, not hands-on healing, but hands pretty close by healing of the wildcats. That's pretty exciting. Hands at a safe distance healing from the the wildcats. So I'm really looking forward to it. So, so what we're talking about would would most likely translate to wild animals, but but right now mostly the you're getting called in by an animal keeper, or an animal person. <laughs> an animal person, that's right. Yeah, my clients for the most part have dogs, cats, and horses. Sometimes parrots and ferrets, but mostly our usual dog, cats, and horses, and they have a situation on their hands that the vets can't solve. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm almost always, um, a client will be introduced to me because that I am the, the healer of last resort. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, there was a horse in Michigan, a beautiful show horse who'd been at a trainer and had been turned out during a snowstorm and had um, caught a little chill. And at the same time, there was a bizarre virus going around in Michigan, <clears throat> bizarre horse virus. So the horse became quite sick. The vets thought it was the bizarre virus. They took the horse into the hospital, gave her all sorts of radical treatments, none of which worked, and the horse was on death's door. So they, they really, the vets had decided that it was termination time, but the owner called me and said, please. Mm-hmm. And I had to rescue the horse from the land of the dead, extreme journey work, and it worked. Um, the horse turned around, recovered, and came home. So, the, you know, obviously those people like me and call me back a lot, thank goodness. But mostly people will come to me in that kind of a dire strait mm-hmm. where it takes a miracle, it takes the spirits to really affect the kind of change they're looking for. Sure. Okay, so how how are animals similar to humans as shamanic healing clients, if you will? Well, insofar as we have to use the same kinds of techniques, extraction, power retrieval, soul retrieval, um, the things that are common in our shamanic toolbox, we use them on animals. And so animals experience intrusions or even possessions and they also lose soul parts and all of the same kind of thing similar to us? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Very, very much the same kind of spiritual pathology as people. So we're sitting here chatting as two shamanic practitioners, but of course what we've just clarified is that for people to understand what we're even talking about, people have to accept that animals have souls. Yes, they do. Which is and a I'm, very good thing because we can shape shift back and forth from being animals. So um, if I get incarnated as a cat, as a cat, I darn well better have a soul. Right. right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, you know, it's interesting because, of course, there are people that think only humans do. That's right. Right. And, and you know, that is one aspect of the shamanic perspective is that, you know, some people go, well, yeah, everything has life force, but 
we're special because we have human souls, but I, I really believe that the shamanic perspective is there's nothing particularly special about our souls, that things are ensouled. We oh, have to be part of a subset of the things that are ensouled, but we're not the only ones. We don't have some corner on the market of soul force energy. No, I completely agree with you. But as I've, as I've worked with animals for so many years, I do think that we have a corner on language. And I do think that sets us apart. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I don't think it, I don't think that makes us more special because cats have the corner on something so mystical and so bizarre and so out there that I can't even begin to understand it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just laughing as a cat person. Um, So one of the things, so the language thing is interesting though, because how, you know, People might be wondering, you know, so how do you communicate, essentially, then, with animals that mostly don't speak to us? Well, I believe that, well, first, the the first answer is telepathically. Mm -hmm. And so what that means, technically, is that my imaginative faculties, my perceptive faculties, are activated by the spirit of the animal to put impressions into my brain that I can then translate into language which I can use to share with somebody else. I believe that's the mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, it's probably the same in, in a journey, that the spirits use our perceptions and our, our, our ability to perceive and our imaginative faculties to give us the information, which it's then up to us to be able to translate into something that locks into our understanding and is communicable through language. And so in a certain way, it's really not any different than communicating with a human about something they don't know anything about, they don't remember, or they don't know how to articulate in their conscious mind. But what, you dis- what, what, we're, what we're discovering in the session is some whole big aspect of their life that is present and real and part of what needs to get explored for the healing, but they couldn't. So it's the same thing. You know, the, the, the spirit of the being who's being helped is offering up those images so that we can translate and communicate about it. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, our power animals and teachers are augmenting and clarifying the information that the animal is giving. Next. So Which is we get pretty much just picture. like working with humans. Just like working with humans. Okay. So, oh, go ahead. Well, but here's how I think working with animals differs. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've found in humans is that they often, their bones are often carrying the unhealed wounds of their ancestors. So some of the trauma that we walk into the world with and that we have to act out and bring healing to is trauma that was given to us um, through our birthright. And so if someone's an alcoholic, their father might have been an alcoholic and down the generations and, and our shamanic healing work, many of us have techniques for healing those ancestral wounds. Yeah, this is not such a big hairy deal in dogs. Mm-hmm. This problem does not come up in dogs and cats and horses. Just doesn't come up. So I find that a fascinating distinction. So I'm kind of getting off on that tangent since I actually do a lot of ancestral healing work. It's an interesting um, situation to think about, but we we won't think about that right now. We're paying attention to doing shamanic healing with animals. Um, so 
so that's one way that the animals, the, the, the problems, essentially, that they bring to you as a shamanic healer are different, is they don't carry that ancestral history. That's right. Pattern. So it's easier to heal them because they're yes. present. Their problem yeah. is as present and in the moment as they are. So what else is different about working with animals? Well, um, there's two other really big distinction points that I've found. And one I mentioned briefly in, in that they tend to have collective souls or a different kind of purpose than we have. But the other one is that there is an interwoven relationship between the animal and the person, which almost always is critical to the healing of the animal and reflective back into the person to help heal them. So some people talk about that as being, the animal mirrors my stuff. Mm -hmm. If I'm sick, the animal takes it on for me. That's that's a frequent way that people talk about it. Mm -hmm. And that starts this cycle of guilt. I'm um, traumatized, so my cat is traumatized, and it's my fault that the cat is traumatized. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, oh gosh, the, the pain and suffering loop that people get into around that way of seeing things. And if there's one thing I'd like to shift in people's consciousness, it's not that you're laying a trip on the animal, it's that your energetic web is sharing that trauma, is sharing that pain, is sharing that off-centeredness. And so if a shamanic practitioner can go in and heal the trauma in the animal, that reflects back into the person. And in the person, it reflects back into the animal. Without there being a sense of responsibility, it's just that you are connected and the love that interweaves the two of you will have it so that you share the energetic traumas and the energetic joys that one of you is carrying. So can you share a story with our listeners so that they can understand what you're saying? I think it's in a really important point because I hear people saying exactly what you said all the time, and then there's the guilt that goes with that, and guilt is never helpful in any process, including healing. So why don't you share with us a story that really illustrates this interwovenness of the people and the animal? Um, I'm going to I'm going to be careful in it because mm-hmm. the these stories have to be couched. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't wanna I don't wanna invade on anyone's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell one of my own because by God, I'll put myself, I'll put my mm-hmm. stuff out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're your story, so you can share them if you want to. Yes, absolutely. Um, I as a, I, I talk about the shifted perceptual awareness of the animal as a, as a completely soul-based sentient being, and there being no hierarchical, hierarchical difference between animals and people and so on and so forth. And yet, I will go out there with my horse, Yark and go right back to the habits of being dominating person. And when I do that, he gets a stomach ache. And when he gets a stomach ache, I get a stomach ache. And so when I begin to resolve that and breathe it out of me and look at him and see his soul and see his light come back, and we share that breath again, and we share our partnership. We share the fact that we are the same tribe and family, 
then all of a sudden the answers come. And he looks at me and he says, honey, the reason my stomach hurts is I have ulcers. My, it's not my gut, it's my stomach. And I put my hand on him and my teacher Kay comes in and says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you call Robin, she'll tell you exactly what to do about it. I can have that kind of a, of a, of, of, of separation between us, a sharing of pain and suffering. In my case, just my laying up my, I'm the owner and you're the horse trip on him was enough to set it up. Mm-hmm. And then when I, and then have an illness result from that. And when I shift my perception and I come back to the truth of who I am and the truth of who he is, and I put my hands on softly, because zoom, the spirit comes in, everything changes, and now he's getting, well, Tagamet. Tagamet works like a charm. And he's fine. So God help me, I need to stay in that place. So if a woman calls me up and she's a person who has a lot of stress at work, a lot of trauma at work, and she comes home and she drops that trauma through the household, shakes it off herself, and her cat pulls back and starts hunching and gets inflammatory bowel disease. It's a very common, common setup. So in those cases, as a healer, I can go in and we'll do healing work on the cat, and I'll ask Amber, my power, my teacher who helps me with cats, to take that whole ball of, what, of wisdom and healing, give it to the woman, and then encourage me to ask her questions that may help understand where the stress is coming from and bring her to a place where she can get her stress healed and then she can begin to see that it's a reflexive thing and let go of all of it and let beauty come in and change the recipe. So in that point, she doesn't have guilt about it. She's relieving her stress. The cat is relieving. Everybody's better. And guilt doesn't have any role in it any further. So in a sense, then, because the uh, the energies are being shared, maybe would be a way to say it, the, the healing is, can also be shared. The, or what needs to happen for the healing can be shared between the animal and the person potentially as well. I really believe that, yes. So sometimes like, the person needs to change their awareness or their actions or their whatever as a part of the medicine, I guess, that needs to come for the suffering to be relieved. Yeah, and, and not just for the sake of healing their animal, but for the sake of recognizing that their own suffering needs to be healed. In the human. The human recognizing yeah. that her own suffering needs mm-hmm. to be addressed. Okay, so we have these animals, and they have their spirit tribes, and the, and the spirit tribe itself is um, an aspect of working with them that is interesting. And then we have the, also this interconnection um, with humans and animals that is part of the healing. There, there's another thing that you mentioned about just that, um, that sets animals apart is just that they have these extraordinary gifts of being. Uh-huh. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, I'm going to tell you a story because it illustrates it and it opens the door to why this is so mysterious. My girlfriend, Debbie, called me up. She lives in Texas and she says, there's a cat who has shown up at work. 
His name is Timmy. He says, and she's a good animal communicator. So she says, he says he wants to come home with me, that he's going to be living with me, and I'm going, and I'm going to take him to cat shows. I said, oh. And she said, I've never been to a cat show. I don't know anything about this. Can you please talk to Timmy and find out what's going on? So I said, sure. And I journeyed to this absolutely gorgeous cat. And he said, well, I have to go to cat shows because I need to see the white cats about the rods. Oh, just tell her to take me to the cat show. (laughs) Deb does. She, She enters this cat in the household cat cat show. And um, the cat's distracted and looking around. So she said to him, Timmy, you said you wanted to come to this cat show, and by golly, you'd better win. (laughs) (laughs) And Timmy looks at her and says, well, all right then, and puffs up and is perfect and gets elevated to the next level. They were taken into another room. She sets Timmy's cage down. And across the room is a whole big cage of white cats. Hmm. They lock eyes. For the whole rest of the hours, transfixed on each other. So, who are these white cats? What is going on here? I journeyed back to Timmy and I said, okay, so now you've met the white cats. Who are they? He says, you won't understand. I said, you're absolutely right, but try me. And he showed me these sort of translucent rod-like things that look maybe like bacteria, but he says they are interspersed in space, and the understanding of what their role is and what they're doing here and why they're here is very important for his people to understand, and he and the white cats are here as emissaries to um, keep track of these things. Emissaries from where, Timmy? Well, from the Crystal Palace. Oh, <laughs> where was the Crystal Palace? Well, don't you know? No, no, I don't. So we go to the upper world, and there's this extraordinary palace run by Egyptian cats. And in it are the souls of cats who become familiars to us. The, you know, the special cats for special people. These cats are the chosen ones. I now call them brilliant cats because they're so so extraordinary. And they are special beings. They're not, they're, I mean, you could call them aliens or something, but I call them brilliant cats. And they come here and they have purpose, mission, communications that is completely in another plane from what you and I do on our normal lives, even shamanically. Well, you may, but on another plane from what I do shamanically, and it's completely extraordinary. And since then, I've met quite a few Crystal Palace cats, and I've discovered that when they die, they go back into the Crystal Palace, they are re-educated, there's this transmission and exchange of what they learned, and then they have choices. And one of the choices is whether they wish to be born back onto this planet to continue their job here, or whether they wish to go to this other place that doesn't have the pain and suffering, another kind of dimensional universe, which apparently is a lot more fun. And I've not been invited to go visit it. (laughs) (laughs) Cats are funny that way. Cats are funny that way. So um, I later found out that this tribe of white cats had been 
it was a feral tribe that the the woman who brought them she just adopted this colony of feral white cats and she just took them to the show to help assimilate them to help get them accustomed to things she was a show person and so she just brought them along they weren't even partaking in the showing hmm. they were there simply to meet timmy wild huh yeah so are there I don't know if typical is the right word, but typical um, kinds of problems that animals have that need, that, that need to be addressed shamanically, that, that, that can't be effectively addressed through ordinary veterinary means or, you know, good, cat, good animal parenting. Uh, probably the most significant of those is possession. Um, animals absolutely can become possessed. And if there's one shamanic art that we really need for animals, it's depossession work. Uh, animals can be, uh, well, you know, it's, it's no surprise that the scapegoat was used to, as a depossession technique. Um, the, the technique of taking a possessing spirit out of a person and putting it into a goat in order to um, get the possessing spirit to move on. Uh, animals who have have a a vulnerability to possession that can really disable them, and so that's a really great example. Uh, my first case of that remains, I think, my most interesting. Maybe because the first time you see something, you, it really strikes your soul. But this was a horse who would become suddenly vicious. He would attack without any provocation. I mean, one day he's the sweetest little horse, and the next day he's literally trying to kill somebody. So I journeyed to him, and I found out that there was a dead jockey stable hand guy from a racetrack. He was an ex-racehorse. And the man had died um, in, a, in a fight and didn't know he was dead and had moved into the horse. I mean, a classic possession situation. And when we moved him on, Skip, the horse, recovered for a time. And then another possessing spirit came in. He had... Um, a sort of a holy soul that that allowed him to become re um, repossessed, and that was early in my career, so I probably didn't know how to seal him up well enough. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, I've seen quite a bit of it, often not nearly so dramatic. But um, here's a great a great one: this nine uh, eleven. A lot of things happened on nine eleven when those buildings went down. But there was a dog um, named, named um, oh, I can't remember his name, but we'll call him Sammy, who lived in Denver. And he was a small dog. And his characteristic was that he would allow people to come into the house, but he wouldn't allow them to leave. He would bark at them and snap at them so they couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't go out the door. That was his deal. You know, a pretty distinctive thing. Some dogs are like that, but not very many. And his buddy is a, was a big old Rottweiler named Duncan, who was just the sweetest old thing in the world. Well, on 9-11, when that plane hit the tower, um, Sammy, Sammy disembarked from his body and just plain dropped dead of heart failure. And uh, the woman asked me to, to cross him over and heal her pain and, you know, so on and so forth. And I... I did, and I, I gathered up all his soul parts, which were spread everywhere, especially lodged inside Duncan. 
and um, gathered them all up, put them back, healed and crossed him over. And she said to me afterwards, well, that is so great because what I neglected to tell you is that Duncan had taken on his characteristic of trying to keep people from leaving the house. So Sammy, Sammy's behavior had transferred right into Duncan. And after I did the depossession work on him, no problems, all solved. So it really adds an extra dimension to for people to think about if they have an animal that um, has, you know, well, I mean, you can't train cats, but basically, you know, animals that have problematic behaviors that they're not responding as an animal would normally respond to trying to change those behaviors. They're just persistent in a behavior that is problematic. Yes, shamanism is an important thing to look at in those cases. And it's a really good idea to have the shamanic practitioner investigate because if it is not something that is um, a physical disorder of the brain, which happens, I mean, dogs have strokes and then are weird, or, um, you know, the kinds of things that can make people be weird can also make dogs be weird. And they can be, it can be a physical disorder that shamanism can help, but maybe not fully resolve. Um, I like to say, yes, and I can't make an Appaloosa horse be a bay horse through shamanism. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I can do a lot of things, honey, but I cannot make that stallion a mare. I just can't do that. Well, there's an aspect of people, you know, that I work with people a lot in shamanism. It's called different things, but it's about helping people to connect with their true nature or their true self, authentic self, however we language that. But I'm wondering how that plays, you know, and if someone is very disconnected from that, they, they usually cannot sustain well-being, sort of no matter what they do, in a human. But with these right. animals and this collective, this tribe piece, do do animals suffer from that same kind of thing, or is or do they have just a very different experience of who they are and why they're here? You know, that is just a really great, great way of putting that, because what I found with animals is that if they are disconnected from their collective soul tribe, they are lost. Mm-hmm. So a horse who is disconnected from his collective soul tribe is fearful and unable to find ground and basis. And even though you can train him all day long, if he doesn't feel the sense of his belonging to his herd, it's a bad deal. And if you journey to a horse and you ask, just ask, who is the tribe of horses who lives with this horse? You'll see them. And if you journey to a dog and you say, who are the dogs who are the tribe of this dog? They'll be there. And if you journey to a cat, well, they may or may not come. <laughs> Cats are a little bit different. <laughs> but they are there there is a tribe that supports them and reabsorbs their soul when they die. So there is not so much um depossession of dogs and cats is uh is necessary, but having a lost wandering soul of an animal is less common than a human's lost wandering soul because the tribe will reabsorb the soul when the animal crosses over more readily. Not so often that they get blasted out of their body like little Sammy did. Usually the tribe is there to reabsorb them. Well, I wonder if humans are supposed to be a little bit more like animals, 
mean, maybe we wouldn't have so much loss in wandering human souls if humans stayed more connected to their human tribe. I really agree with that. And I think that's one of the beauties of, of shamanism and our bringing shamanism back into the modern world. Because, you know, one of the things that people say when they're getting shamanic training is, I cannot believe how much these spirits love me. I cannot believe how blessed I feel and how I familiar they are to me. And then the more we journey with our spirit teachers and with our tribes, we begin to meet those people who have been connected to us for a long, long time. And we begin to see who we are in that spiritual web. And then we're not lost. Then we know who we are. We know who our tribe is and we know where we stand. So it's probably the same for people. It's just that we don't think of it that way so easily. Yeah. So, Carla, um, listeners know a little bit about the idea of upper world, middle world, and lower world. Um, But also, you know, there's just as many shamanic people that just consider it the other world. So, um, but is there a a similar, um, well, I guess, what is the experience of the spirit world when you're getting in there to work with, um, you know, kind of the lay of the land when you're getting in there to work with animals? Is it different or similar? Well, it's very, it's very much the same. I'm trained by the foundation, so I've got the, I've got, you know, the the way that I was trained is to go into the middle world, proceed from there to the lower or upper world, and then do my business. Mm-hmm. And what I found is that I can communicate with animals in the middle world, and I can use middle world journeys for lost animals and and so on and so forth. But when I'm doing my healing work. I always bring the animal's soul with me down into a sacred circle in either the upper or lower world. And then I call in that animal spirit tribe, all the ancestors and power animals of that animal and of the animal's person, and also um, my own, and we'll proceed on doing the work. So for me, I use the upper and middle and lower world model extensively. But not everybody who trains with me does. Some people or um, find that they just want to go into non-ordinary reality and remain in strong connection with their trusted, compassionate spirits, and they don't care where they are. And I don't care either, as long as they're with their trusted and compassionate spirits. Yeah, and as long as the work gets done. Absolutely. It can get done in a good way. And everybody's um, safe, yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, with a with a... With the context of the people listening, I guess, is there is there anything else you would like to share just about this whole idea of shamanic healing with animals for people who might be thinking about that with their own animals? Um, anything else that you would want to share about that? Yes. Um, I've been recently working with a centaur spirit who has been teaching me about the just really simple ways of seeing our chakras um, and, and three chakras, like a Celtic way of seeing them, a lower, a middle, and an upper, so people like me who can't count don't have to. And having and just a simple meditation for people to use, whether they know shamanism or not, to bring healing into themselves, to bring healing into their animals, and for the whole sphere of influence around the two of them, or the, the many of them, to receive that healing from spirit. And very simply, it's to close your eyes 
and feel your heart chakra, feel your heart center, breathe into it, and see what color is in there. doesn't matter what the color is. It's just a note, noting that it's there and recognizing it. And then to breathe into your head, into your third eye area, into your upper cauldron, and see what color is there. And then find the point in between, which is around the throat area, and ask these two to swirl together and find that center as their connection point. And then breathe into your belly chakras, see what color they are, and ask that chakra to connect to the middle one and so that your solar plexus becomes a golden light of center and have the spirits bring all their compassionate power into it. And then look at your animal. And holding that compassionate power in your belly, ask the spirits to illuminate the heart chakra of the animal. And then the head chakra. And then the center. And then the base chakra. And then the center of the all three and feel the power between your heart center or your, your solar plexus center and their center and ask the spirits to make that a clear, beautiful shaft of the most gorgeous description that you can ever conceive. If it's gold or clear light or a beautiful river or whatever is the imagery that makes you incredibly happy. And then breathe and allow their breath to come into you as you exhale and your breath into them as you inhale and breathe back and forth with them and just say, I love you. And you're both going to get healed that way without having to do any formal anything. That's a gift from the centaurs. That's lovely. Isn't it pretty? Yeah. So, so Carla, thanks for sharing us, sharing with us today about shamanic healing with animals, so that people can begin to think about that and understand that as a possibility. Um, you know, in assisting their animals, uh, because I'd like to take this last little bit of time that we have to shift gears a little bit and have you talk about. Uh, more with a sense of the audience of people that might be interested in learning how to actually do this. So are there some things that you're offering that you want to talk about, just classes that are upcoming or how people might go about that? Sure. Um, I start at the very beginning with people, and I'll teach people how to do a basic shamanic journey into the middle world, then the upper and lower world, and how to communicate with animals. And that training, um, I have a webinar that actually begins on Monday, on Monday the 15th. And I repeat that webinar regularly, and I also have it on a pre-recorded basis. So for people who just want to say, I want to try it, I have that available. And I also have some pre-recorded freebies available that give people a broader introduction. And they can find all of that on your website, right? They can find it on my website and my classes are easy to get to through WebEx. My website is spirithealer.com. Okay. And so you can also Google my name, Carla Meske, and boom, there I am. Carla Animal Healer, boom, there I am. So then <laughs> do you have some upcoming classes as well? I do. I'm, I'm, 
beginning uh, my uh, new webinar series starting November 15th. And that's a six-month training. People can come in at any point that is right for them. I mean, people who have worked with you and have studied quite a bit might want to take only certain things in the program. But it's all there on um, spirithealer.com. And next weekend in Orlando, Florida, on the 19th, 20th, and 21st, I'm teaching hands-on healing. So we'll be doing some of the, the shamanic favorites like Tuvan drumming and um, some shamanic meditations from Centaur, such as I just shared, that are in pretty intense ways of bringing power into your hands and delivering it into the bodies of others, animals and people. So, Carla, all of these things and whatever else you continue to offer, people can simply keep track of you on your website and connect through Absolutely. there at spirithealer.com. And if yeah. they would be kind enough to sign up for my mailing list, I will periodically, not, not often, but regularly send updates as to what's happening. Great. Well, Carla, thank you so much for joining us here today. Um, thank you. It's just wonderful to hear about this this possibility because I know as a pet owner myself, there are times. I mean, even with my own shamanic healing skills, I'm I'm as you said, I'm part of the problem, <laughs> yeah. and I can't always, you know, I can't always be the one that can get out of that paper bag myself. And um, and it's oh, just I hard. I mean, we love our our animals, and they want to love us back. And sometimes stuff just gets in the way. So it's wonderful to know that there are ways to sort of deal with issues, for lack of a better word, that you just wouldn't go to the vet about, but you just know something's not right. You know, ever since whatever, this has been going on, and it's just not right. And it's it's wonderful to know, say that kind of thing, and that person doesn't look at you funny. Yeah, that, that's... <laughs> like, what do you mean? So right. Uh, right. So um, right. So, Carla, thank you for joining us here today. Um, and thank thanks you, Christine. to Yeah, and thanks to all of those helping spirits that have, have guided you and trained you and taught you, you know, as is true for shamans, that your helping spirits have taught you how to bring your gifts out in your work. And so I appreciate their, their help and their guidance that we might all benefit from those gifts. Hooray for the spirit! Yeah. So I give thanks to the ancestors for gathering around us here today, for the earth below and the sky above, and for the heart that unites us all in, in each one of us as the humans, but in the animals as well, and all, all those who um, have blood um, pumping through their veins. We give thanks for the hearts. So everyone, um, enjoy your Thanksgiving that whether this is a time that you will be with your bloodline family or your extended, interesting, contemporary mix of a family or even enjoying blissful solitude over this time, let it be a time of true gratitude. You are alive in a world of astounding beauty, and there is much to be thankful for. You are alive in a world of elegant complexity. And in that, there is much to be thankful for. And so please take a moment over this next week um, to give thanks, to give deep thanks for the invisible energies that are co-creating life with us. And remember that life itself in every day is, is a miracle. And let us all 
spend some time this week being grateful for those things in our lives that truly and deeply matter. Thank you, everyone, and thank you, Carla. Thank you, Christine.